Welcome to Still Pretty, a Willow the Bad Man Flayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar running on pure fury, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert and keeper of darkness, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about Villains, the 20th episode of season six. Villains aired on May 14th, 2002 and was written by Marty Noxon and directed by David Solomon. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full spectrum Buffy podcast. So if you haven't seen all of the show, Go take care of that, and we'll just sit here arguing the merits of Ferris Matthew versus Broadway Matthew. I'll help, but I'm helping Willow. Let's go on patrol. In Villains, Xander meets the paramedics as they come to get Buffy. Upstairs in their bedroom, Willow cries over Tara's body and calls for Osiris, demanding that he bring Tara back. But Osiris says it's a natural death, and that's not his business. She is taken by natural order. It is done. No, there has to be a way. It is done. No! In jail, Andrew persists in his oblivion while Jonathan tells him the truth. Warren left them, and he's not coming back. Warren, meanwhile, is at a demon bar bragging about how he killed the Slayer, but the demons laugh at him. It was just on the news. The Slayer survived, and now she's going to be coming after Warren. At the magic box, a calm and determined Willow busts in. Anya tries to talk her down, but Willow freezes her, then pulls all the dark arts books from the shelves and pulls the ink into her body, making her eyes and hair black. That's better. At the Summer's house, Dawn comes home from school. The house is empty. She goes upstairs and looks in the room, eventually finding Tara's body. Meanwhile, Warren has managed to find Rack's place, and he demands to be dosed up on magic to protect him from the Slayer. Rack tells him the Slayer is the least of Warren's problems. A powerful witch wants him dead, and she is running on pure fury. At the hospital, the doctors and nurses are working on Buffy when Willow walks in. She makes them all leave, then pulls the bullet out of Buffy's body and magically repairs her. Buffy wakes up, and Willow says they have to go. Why? It's time to find Warren. Warren gets on a bus out of town, and Xander drives while Willow directs him where to go, and Buffy tries to talk Willow out of killing Warren. Willow doesn't listen. She magically takes the wheel and overtakes the bus, stopping it and demanding that Warren come out. He does. Willow strangles him until his eye pops out. It's a robot version of Warren. Willow is not pleased. Buffy tries to talk to Willow, and Willow tells her that Warren killed Tara. And now she's going to kill Warren. Well, if you do this, you let Warren destroy you, too. You said it yourself, Will. The magic's too strong. There's no coming back from it. I'm not coming back. Willow disappears, and Buffy and Xander return home to find Dawn sitting alone with Tara's body. I didn't want to leave her alone. Buffy and Xander decide to go to the magic box and get a locating spell to find Willow. Dawn wants to go, too, but Buffy says no. Dawn says she wants to go to Spike's, then. Xander objects, but Buffy says he won't hurt Dawn. When they get there, however, they find Clem, who's staying there while Spike's gone. Spike, meanwhile, is somewhere in Africa, working a deal with a demon. You never endure the trials required to grant your request. Do your worst. But when I win, I want what I came here for. At the magic box, Anya tells Buffy and Xander what happened and reveals that she's back in the vengeance business. She agrees to use her powers to track Willow. In the woods, Willow tracks Warren. 
He buries an axe in her back, but it doesn't stop her. He throws all his various tricks at her, but nothing works. She talks to him about what he's done and shows him Katrina. He shows no remorse. Willow takes a bullet and slowly pushes it through him as he screams, explaining to him what a bullet does, how it destroys everything. She stitches his mouth shut to keep him from screaming while she talks, and then interrupts his begging by flaying him alive. Buffy, Xander, and Anya arrive just in time to see that Willow has killed Warren. Willow, what did you do? One down. All right. So, oh my God, Noelle, here we are at the end of season six, getting deep, deep, deep into the darkness and uh, villains. Kind of a dark episode. What did you think? I forgot how fucking good this episode is. Oh my God, you guys, this episode is so good. So good. So good. And I do not feel bad for Warren for one split second. And I cannot wait to dive into that with you. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's really, there's some really interesting questions raised by this episode. This is one of those episodes that I always forget. You know, like I always think we're just going straight to two to go and then, you know, getting into grave and everything. I always forget villains. Um, But villains is like a very necessary kind of transitional, you know, this is the, the transition of Willow into that darkness. And there are so many questions about you know, what is quote unquote, the right thing to do. And then who cares about what the right thing is? There's a certain point where the right thing is so irrelevant, it doesn't even matter. Um, And that's, I think, the point that Willow got to in here. Um, It's never been one of my favorite episodes. It is good. I think that I just don't enjoy watching it for a lot of reasons that we're going to be talking about, not the least of which is the horrifying aspect of this episode. Um, But I mean, first, I think, you know, we got to talk about like, one of the major themes of this season of Buffy in general, the idea of vengeance versus justice and the natural cost of vengeance. I mean, we have had this discussion a lot this season, along with the human evil versus demonic evil. I think that we've kind of like capped all of that up, but we get to the point where it becomes very textual in this episode. I mean, Buffy very calmly states like the correct position on this. Being a slayer doesn't give me a license to kill. Warren's human. So? So the human world has its own rules for dealing with people like him. So, you know, Buffy basically says, this is it. This is the line we draw. They're, the human justice system may not be a good justice system, but it's a system and it has, it's not my business. And we kind of get that. We get that from Osiris in the beginning of the episode. This is not my territory. The natural human death, right? Um, and Buffy says, this is not my territory. You know, I am the one that kills the demons, you know, to protect people. And also, let's not forget, Buffy is about protection, not about justice. You know, Buffy, as soon as somebody he doesn't hurt people anymore as soon as spike gets a chip that she doesn't kill them she only kills them when she's preventing damage to humans when she's preventing harm so that's kind of an interesting thing too because buffy at her core doesn't even really like she as a character and what she does doesn't even really like wrestle with the question of justice versus vengeance that's all external to buffy yeah and it's i find it incredibly frustrating in that buffy is still very much in this like slayer space i mean of Mm -hmm. course she is she's the slayer but we've done this whole thing with buffy kind of pushing back against 
the Watcher's Council and the Slayers mm-hmm. and like what this means. But here, you know, in that scene with Dawn and Xander in the living room with Joyce's picture kind of pointedly in the background, I really enjoy. Um, yeah. You know, Buffy's like, I'm the Slayer. I don't kill. And I just want to be like, girl, no one is asking you to kill. Yeah. Both mm-hmm. Xander and Dawn are like, look, the dude is dangerous. He is, you know, as dangerous as mm-hmm. anything that you have fought as the Slayer. And Buffy, but Buffy is so in her own perspective on this that mm-hmm. it doesn't, to me, it doesn't come across as the quote unquote correct position. I believe Buffy yeah. that she believes it, but it seems very. Mm, it seems like she still kind of has this Watcher's Council hat on in this moment. And it a little bit. Doesn't Although particularly concern, work for me. Like, yeah, I don't her, buy it. Mm-hmm. Her concern to me does not seem to be for Warren. It seems to be for Willow. You know, that like it's somebody else's job to deal with Warren, you know, um, and that her concern is for Willow. The thing about Buffy that. Uh, bothers me and and we're going to get in this a little bit it's just like how incredibly straightforward and matter of fact she is and i do feel like you know even after everything she's been through this is just a very like you know kind of out of the rule books buffy you know um and it feels a little bit strange this whole season buffy has been you know really robotic we opened the season killing the buffy bot and we got the buffy bot you know Mm -hmm. to a certain degree you know Mm -hmm. and this feels like more of that from her um and the the idea to me it seems what she's saying is i'm not gonna let willow lose herself by killing a human you know because if you look back it was killing a human that sent faith to the dark side you know mm-hmm. although faith i think was pretty much headed there she was on the dark side bus anyway <laughs> she was more nuanced in her yeah she, she was more faith was more nuanced in her worldview than buffy yes. was buffy mm-hmm. is very very clear-cut and we see that really well you know mm-hmm. portrayed here yeah. um and faith whereas faith i think had a much more um flexible worldview Mm -hmm. when it comes to death and killing and, you know, what that means in relation to being a slayer. Right. I think what I would almost enjoy more here, especially because it's not just Willow that has endured a loss. Tara meant a lot to everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, Tara's loss is a big fucking deal, Mm -hmm. you know? I almost would rather have Buffy asking the question here, you know, instead of stating it from the rule book, being like, okay, you know, is what is the right thing? Um, But the only thing I I like that her perspective is I'm not going to let Willow destroy herself. I'm not going to let Willow lose herself, you know, in this, Mm -hmm. which I think is good. And that's the perspective that I want from Buffy here, because uh, nobody should give a fuck about Warren at this point. Yeah. Warren should get what he gets. Warren deserves, you know, whatever he gets. Um, So. I find it kind of an interesting thing. It's very much laid down as like, this is the way that it is. You Mm -hmm. know, this is how it is. This is, and maybe in a certain sense, Buffy needs that in order to do what she does. 
Like she needs to know that there are clear lines and clear rules and that if she stays within this space, then she's okay. Like maybe there's some of that, but I don't feel like we express that. We just, Buffy just kind of stands there as a bot, you know, Mm -hmm. to spout this part of the argument um, rather than actually living it through her experience, which is something that I think we, we fail on in, in season six in general. Um, but we'll get to that a little bit when we talk about Buffy as a character. Uh, one of the things about this particular, um, episode that always throws like the rest of Buffy into like a stark relief for me Mm -hmm. is the horror aspect. Um, I am not a fan of horror as everybody knows. Um, I, I tend to, after watching something truly horrifying, end up in the fetal position for a few hours. Buffy is ostensibly a horror show, but mostly, I mean, come on, you know, it's Buffy beating the hell of a big rubber, rubber snakes with arms, you I know? Mean, is it a horror show? I mean, ostensibly, it's vampires, it's vampires, it's monsters. It doesn't feel, it doesn't have the aspect of horror for me in that it's not, it doesn't scare me. It's not particularly gross. It's, it's latex. It's, it's costume horror almost is what it feels like to me, you know, Mm, Um, fantasy monster horror. mm -hmm. I got, okay. I mean, horror is a big, that's a big genre umbrella. umbrella. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> but this episode for me is, I think, the hardest one for me to watch. I think this is the most like horrifying episode of Buffy as far as like that thing about horror that makes me not want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, watching people suffer, watching people scream for their lives, even Warren. Like, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for Warren. You know, um, he is horrifying in a very different way and has been making me feel gross and greasy and uncomfortable this entire run through, you know. Um, But seeing anyone screaming in pain, begging for their life um, and and the flaying is also, you know, not great. Although why she left his pants on. Is that a discussion that we can have? I mean, we can have that discussion. I, I, I mean, what are you wearing? No skin and pants. Like that's just no skin and pants. Like, it's like it's like the cartoon characters that have just the pants on. It's like I don't know. Like I don't. Or the no pants, but then when their yeah, shirt but, is removed, shirt. they cover their lower extremity. It's fascinating. It's, anyway, it's, anyway, it, yeah, our relationship with with clothing is weird. And like I understand that that you know we're on primetime TV and that there are certain restrictions. Why not just do the shot from the waist up the way they do during sex scenes why do we have to have his pants on why are we preserving warren's dignity in this particular moment i don't think I don't it's understand. about dignity i mean yes what it kind is of it? is well it's i think it's about standards and practices yeah, yeah, yeah. it just feels like such a weird choice for whatever reason it it doesn't it doesn't set off my like that's a weird choice radar um i think it because- always feels his pants are so per- they're not even like dirty or ripped or bloody he has these perfectly pristine they, pants yeah, on with like the belt pressed. buckle yeah with like yes, a crease yes. down the front yeah 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 yes. and for whatever reason it works for me and i don't know i'm just unpacking this like live as we have this discussion <laughs> i wonder if it's because he is this like almost a almost a like a centaur kind of human mm-hmm. demon monster at this point yeah that the Mm -hmm. pants make him 
the the pants sort of keep this is so this is so cheesy which is a word that i don't like to use but here we go like the <laughs> pants sort of keep him grounded in the world of like human um uh not not humanity because i i'm gonna argue in a couple minutes that he is not a human at this point um, uh-huh they gr- the pants this is so this is this is why this is why i do this um mm-hmm. the pants are he is still of the world he is still mm-hmm. of the human world mm-hmm. even as he is i think rightfully skinned alive for his <laughs> truly truly evil, horrible horrible transgression i mean he's yes. a, it's mm-hmm. a I, don't know. I mean, he's the worst monster out of all the monsters. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he really is. You know, I mean, at least Glory, like, Glory didn't care that she did damage to other people, but that wasn't particularly her thing. Like, you know, she just wanted to go home. She was, yeah. you know, being, you know, but, but like, I, you know, with him. Warren likes it. Warren He enjoys what it. he does. And that yeah. is part of what makes him Super the monster creepy. that he is. Super creepy. Yeah. Um... Yeah, yeah. All right. And also, like, uh, you had a note about guns and money, and I'm really yeah. interested in kind of thinking about how that relates with the world of uh, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, well, it's an odd thing. I mean, we've talked a lot in a lot of different ways about how the trio doesn't really work mm-hmm. in the Buffyverse yeah. because there's nothing really for Buffy to do about them and all of that, and how right. they get their power in these really mm, unfair <laughs> sort mm-hmm. of ways. I just think it's interesting that in this episode, we get, I mean, we we hear all along that the trio yeah. is into money. Money is mm-hmm. kind of their thing. Um, yeah. But in this episode in particular, I mean, we we see Warren offer cash to Rack. Mm-hmm. And Warren, we hear, gets to Rack's by bribing someone with cash. Yes. And... Warren has bragged about how he killed the Slayer with a gun and how great guns are, you know, until the demons correct him about that. You still got to be a good (laughs) shot. Yes. And Mm -hmm. I just don't, you know, it's this like really, it's really, really mundane, like these really mundane um, symbols of power that are often abused. And Mm -hmm. those are so connected with the trio and with Warren in particular, and this is the season where money becomes an issue for Buffy for the first time. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like there's something there. Um, Yeah. I think that there has been all through season six, this like uncomfortable pairing, you know, of like, we're, we're moving mundane world things into this space, which has been, you know, very highly fantasy. We did this for the first time, I think, in season four with the initiative, and it didn't really work well then. And it's not really working that great now. There's a lot of great stuff that I love in season six, but the what it does within the world, how uncomfortably the world sits in this space. Like we were just talking about how Buffy's like, well, Warren's a human, right? Mm-hmm. So we let humans deal with Warren. We have a system for that, blah, blah, blah. All right. So why did we not call the police? on warren and his buddies before why did we not if the police are the ones if the human justice system and the the human justice system in the real world has very very serious problems you know so like we'll just but let's just say in this fantasy world there's a fantasy justice system that actually is does dispense justice right shouldn't the police have been involved shouldn't that be something as soon as these 
these guys were doing illegal things Mm -hmm. that Buffy should have turned them into the police way before then. Yeah. I mean, if that was the police's job, right? Yeah, if that's their job. I mean, yeah, especially when Katrina dies. You know, we have the we have the moment of Buffy when Buffy thinks that she has killed Katrina and she's going to turn herself into the police. Mm -hmm. We have that whole we have that whole situation. But when the the truth is revealed, right? Because this is not the first murder. Yeah, yeah. Why have Why have they not? You know, because I mean, a, an anonymous tip to the police saying there is this, you know, you found this body. This woman was killed yeah. by these guys. Go check it out. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what the police should have been doing. Then again, here's another question. Both Jonathan and Andrew have been using demons and magic mm-hmm. throughout. Does that take away their I'm human? I get a pass to the regular justice system card. I mean, arguably, yes. Right. Arguably, it does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I it's have just, a whole. It feels, yeah. I go. I've got a whole thing about <laughs> Warren and that, and you know, we can skip ahead to that if you want. Let's to. go ahead. Let's go ahead and skip right into okay. it. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So, whoo! All right. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Warren for a second. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about Warren. So so we have this whole, you know, he's a human. The Slayer doesn't kill humans. Great, great, great. We get that. But I would argue that certainly by the end of this episode, he no longer falls into the human category. And I Mm -hmm. think it's textual in some really interesting ways. Mm -hmm. So Warren goes into a demon bar and he sits down next to a vampire. Mm Mm-hmm. Who doesn't bite him? Yeah. Doesn't like no one in that demon bar bats an eye. No mm-hmm. one seems to even like register that mm-hmm. there's a human here. So what is protecting Warren in this Interesting demon bar? Interesting question. I mean, other yeah. than his colossal ego, right? Because right. because he he is he is a person who is certain that he belongs anywhere he decides to be, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But also, he has made himself one of the demons. He literally says, this town is ours. Right. Mm-hmm. He has textually aligned himself with the demons in the bar. And they're not mm-hmm. hurting him because they also see him as one of them. Well, there is the one who says, I was going to eat you, but now I want to watch the Slayer kill you. Well, exactly. I mean, they assume he's one of them Mm -hmm. to the point that they assume that the Slayer is going to be coming for Warren. We know Mm -hmm. that's not true because we know how Slayers work. And Mm -hmm. whether or not the demons know about Slayers not killing humans is irrelevant. They Mm -hmm. accept Warren as one of them, as someone who the Slayer would be coming after. Mm Mm-hmm. It's really, really interesting. He, Warren, so when he's, when he's doing his macho shithead posturing at the bar, he poo-poos magic. Uh-huh. But then he goes to Iraq for magical protection and weaponry, and he cuts in line, which is where I call it. Because, dude, that is 100% evil. You don't fucking cut in line. Whatever. Um, yes. But he says, he tells Rack, I did us all a favor. Yeah. And then again, when he's talking about the trio, he says, we were evil. Mm-hmm. We were evil. 
I love Rack, yeah. by the way, just like not even being the tiniest bit impressed. What were you, a band or something? Like, he's just not. Because well, the thing is, though, that Rack knows. He knows everything. He knows that Willow's after him. He yep. knows he can sense the magic and all this oh, kind yeah. of stuff. So the fact, the fact that, that Rack can sense everything that's happening and has no radar for Warren makes yeah. Warren even smaller you know, Warren yeah. is a Dunning, he's a Dunning Kruger villain, right? He thinks he's really, really good, but in reality. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. I And I love that Rack knows exactly what's going to happen to Warren. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Knows exactly mm-hmm. what's going to happen to him. But Warren says, I still have a few tricks up my sleeve, but it's not enough. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So Warren is using magic and willing to engage with it. But he doesn't have the intuition that Rack mentions mm-hmm. because Warren doesn't feel Willow in the way that Rack does. Well, Warren, I think, is using stolen magic, though, right? Because he's the tech guy. He's the guy who makes the robots and, you know, puts together the... But it was Jonathan that handled the magic and Andrew that handled the demons. Sure. So any tricks he has, I would presume, are stolen from Jonathan and Andrew. Sure. I mean, that's I think that's that's probably yeah. really, really. So, I mean, he, yeah. So he has he has nothing. But I mean, everything that he has is stolen or borrowed or well, like, I mean, except nothing his own, except his unearned own scientific power. knowledge. Right. Mm-hmm. Because Warren, Warren is brilliant in that way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Warren, you know. Warren is a brilliant scientist in the way that Willow is a brilliant scientist. Yeah. He's able to mm-hmm. do things that no one else is able to do. But he he is still wh- whether the magic is stolen or not, he's still tapped in enough to magic right to mm-hmm. be engaging with it. Um but he doesn't really he can't really access it mm-hmm. because he doesn't have as Rack says he doesn't have intuition. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we might be using intuition and empathy interchangeably here, at least for a little bit. Yeah. Which kind of tracks, right? Because Mm -hmm. Warren has no empathy. He has zero much empathy. (laughs) And that feels like a pretty strong argument against Warren's humanity to me. Yeah. Because even tied up in the forest and confronted with a vision of his dead ex-girlfriend, Warren is incapable of feeling for another human being. Mm-hmm. He's still threatening Willow with violence and using rape culture yeah. rhetoric against her as he's Ugh. tied up. So, I mean, we have, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> the yeah. the gross misogyny of Warren. I mean, we don't, we could go around that mulberry bush again, right? But like, yeah. even, even tied up, you know, I mean, we have, we have an axe wound, right? Which I'm choosing to read as a misogynistic joke, followed yeah. by mocking Willow for asking for it. He's mm-hmm. just like he has no no sense of being held accountable for anything and then he tells Katrina that she deserved what happened to her and he yeah. fucking means it and calls her it. Yeah. 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 Which is uh, additionally like just when you think Warren can't be more disgusting and offensive, he actually tops himself. Yeah. Like being, being, uh, you know, confronted with while he's tied up. Yeah. Being confronted with the woman that he murdered 
and referring to her as it. Yeah. Um, ugh. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he's like the the colossal lack of empathy. I mean, it just keeps building on itself. Yeah. It just keeps snowballing. But one of the strongest pieces of textual evidence for Warren's lack of humanity mm-hmm. is the robot, is the okay. Warren robot, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the robot fools Magical Willow because she felt his essence, right? Mm-hmm. And part of that could be Rack's magic. Yeah. You know, he's hiding his Warrenness in the robot somewhere, however that might work. <laughs> but with as much emphasis as we're putting on intuition empathy and the ability to feel someone Mm -hmm. because Anya also talks about being able to feel Willow right yeah Rat can feel Willow Anya can feel Willow I think the robotness of the robot fools Willow Mm -hmm. even with all of her power because the robot feels like Warren so yeah put another way Mm -hmm. Warren human Warren feels like a robot on an energetic level well, yeah, to have that lack of empathy. Yeah. You know, you would have to be. Yeah. You know, like there would have to be there's something there's something in in his like in that moment where he finds out that he he didn't kill Buffy, but he murdered somebody else randomly. Yeah. And then says it wasn't personal. <laughs> Like, that makes it okay. Right. Like, that's, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't mean to kill Tara. Well, then everything's fine. I'll let you go and we'll not flay you down to your pants. Yes, exactly. Right? Um, Yeah. So, I mean, like, he is essentially broken on that human level. And the thing that I find really interesting, too, is that we saw that all the way back in I Was Made to Love You, where Warren first appears. And in that... He's just this, you know, like doofy, stupid scientist who made this robot and it got out of hand, which is something that you could, you know, have a little bit of empathy for, except when Katrina says, hey, what's going on? And she and he says, shut up, Katrina. Yeah. Like the way that he says that to her, the way that he speaks to her um, is horrifying. Yeah. You know, and that is a sense that has a sense of that, like, complete lack of of any compassion, any feeling, any, you know, um, responsibility, you know, for anything that he does. Um, It's it's all he doesn't feel guilt. He doesn't feel bad about anything that he does. I mean, Jonathan and Andrew, and we'll talk about them in a little bit, at least, you know, they they feel bad when Katrina's dead. You know, Andrew cries. Jonathan's horrified. Yeah. And they're going through things in their own way. Yeah. Like they have the mm-hmm. capacity to feel. Yeah. In a way that Warren just, yeah. doesn't mm-hmm. seem to or has chosen not to. Yeah. Right. Because, I mean, Buffy is right in that there are systems in place ostensibly to deal with mm-hmm. people like Warren. But yes. Warren has put himself outside of those systems. He is yes. literally asking to be seen and dealt with as evil. Right. And he has shown over and over and over again that he will kill and he won't feel bad about it. Right. I mean, and Willow- but he's but he's still a natural. Right. But is is it because because, yes, the damage that he does is like evil, mm-hmm. similar to the way that demons are evil. Demons are metaphors. Sure. Right. And this is where we get that that 
problem, like that, that uncomfortable space in the world where it feels like the world is breaking a little bit. Warren is a demon as far as like the metaphor goes, because all these demons that are evil and awful are metaphors for human evil. Mm -hmm. They're metaphors mm -hmm. for the things that we do to each other, right? But we are able to separate out, and that's the value of a metaphor, is it allows us to separate out things that we otherwise cannot separate out. We cannot look at somebody who's evil and not recognize that that it is human evil, right? Here, we're able to separate that out. And so it's easy to kill demons. We got no problem dusting vampires, right? It's fine. But when it comes to killing humans, that becomes a different discussion altogether. Um, but here we have Warren, apparently, trying as hard as possible to turn in his human card, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. And I think that this is where we get like that tension between the world building and what we're actually doing here, because for all intents and purposes, you know, when you when you, you know, get the latex out of the way, you get the, the metaphor out of the way. There is no difference between Warren and the evilest of evil demons. Mm -hmm. And yeah. yet we draw that line very clearly in this season. And I think it's an interesting question. Philosophically, I think it's an interesting space to play in but i feel like we we miss something because the metaphor exists for exactly this for dealing with exactly this kind of evil and then we bring this evil in and we take the metaphor away and that does something in the world that makes it feel like it's not working right yeah i mean it's it's interesting right because he's all season long like we've been sort of grappling with this like the the capacity of human beings mm -hmm. to harm you know kind of alongside the capacity of demons to do the right thing mm -hmm. um and it's I, I i don't know i think warren gets exactly the the justice that he mm -hmm. deserves in that it is what he's asking for in the yeah. sense of asking to be part of you know the the crowd at the demon mm -hmm. bar right he wants he wants this world that he's building yeah. and when willow gives him a chance to speak what he has to say is so disingenuous yeah like his whole argument is just i don't want to die which fair but he has she gives him an opportunity to like wake up and see yeah. what he's done and maybe tap back into that humanity. Mm -hmm. I mean, she gives him more than enough opportunity to acknowledge what he's done. And he tells the vision of Katrina that she deserved what he did to her. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I have no, it's funny. I have no problem with what happens to Warren in this episode. <laughs> I'm like, I'm totally here for it. Um mm -hmm. You know, not just because he strikes Willow in the back with an axe and he has yeah. no way of knowing when he does that, that that, yeah. that axe blow is not going to kill her. You know, mm -hmm. murder in self-defense is legit. Like mm -hmm. that, what he gets, I think, is, I mean, for my money, is fair and fine and exactly what he deserves. Mm -hmm. um, and I, <laughs> I don't appreciate the show positioning this as oh, we should feel bad for this dude. Or that what Willow is doing feel... is somehow wrong. I don't know. I don't... But what Willow's doing, I think, 
I don't know. Like I read the show as saying that what Willow's doing is wrong because it hurts Willow, not because this isn't justice. I don't. You know, think not it because does this hurt Willow yet. Well, I, I think that it does. I, I mean, don't think it hurts. we see how. I don't think it hurts Warren, her yet. I think if she yeah. had just killed Warren, I mm-hmm. think if she had just killed Warren, and then realized, oh shit, I don't actually feel better. Right. Like I was yeah. gonna, I was gonna exact some vengeance. I was gonna do some justice, and then I was gonna feel better. And then she but we does, do. That's what we get, though, because but, that's why she tries to destroy the world because right. she doesn't feel better. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying that I think if she had been able to pause there mm-hmm. and grapple with the "I did the right thing" and I'm yeah. still in pain, it's a different mm-hmm. story, right? It's not the story that we're telling. Right. It's a different story. But I think if she had paused there. Mm-hmm. I think that I don't think she would be destroyed by yeah. by taking Warren's life. I really don't. Because, well, because Willow at this point is more than human also. Mm-hmm. Warren has, Warren is more than, or less than human? That's not right. Warren is something other than human in that he has given up his humanity in order mm-hmm. to create a different world for himself. Yes. Willow is more than human in that she, I mean, God, like she she literally is. I mean, she calls mm-hmm. on a god. Like first thing, like no big deal. <laughs> like, <laughs> like in her bedroom. Like, you know, casual. He's on her speed dial. Yeah. Casual. Mm-hmm. It like it, it it's not a big deal for Willow, too. Like, yeah. that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Willow has taken on gods before. Mm-hmm. And then we're yeah. told, you know, so she, she, you know, she calls in a god. She and was the only one who was able to make Glory even pause. Oh, my God. Right? Like, mm-hmm. hello? <laughs> yeah. But then we're told, you know, nope, doesn't work like that. This is a natural passing, a human death by human means. But how is a human weapon natural? Well, that's the question that she asked. Yeah. How is this a natural death? Yeah. You know, yeah. But and it's human nature, human weapons. Apparently. This but, is what humans do. But Willow doesn't accept that premise, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, partly right. because she's experiencing the shock of grief, but also right. because Willow has a different perspective when it comes to what's natural and what's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a witch and she's a scientist. She has seen things and experienced things that no one in her life could even begin to imagine. She's encountered mm-hmm. herself as a vampire. Like, <laughs> she, I mean, she, seriously, she's encountered yeah. herself as a vampire and yeah. then is like, fine, apparently. Like, there's no, yeah. we, I mean, not to mention, she pulls Buffy out of heaven, okay? Yeah. Like, Ma- like magically hacked into heaven mm-hmm. and you hack into heaven your worldview changes it can't I imagine that it change would. willow probably has a better sense of what's natural mm-hmm. than this god face because she's lived both a mundane human life and a magical one and her screaming mm-hmm. back at it actually makes it back down yeah when she cries no the god creature reacts as though it's in pain or it's been defeated. She seems to actually hurl something energetically at it. Mm-hmm. This is a thing that Willow consistently does. She takes on gods and wins. Yeah. So 
I don't know. I don't think killing some misogynist who deserves it could destroy Willow. I really do. I don't buy it. Interesting. (laughs) But can it destroy the human part of Willow? I mean, the part of her that is, you know, like the, the human experience. And here's here's a question, though, for you. Okay. Like, we have made Warren... Absolutely. Like beyond the pale, nobody cares about Warren. Nobody sympathizes with Warren. Nobody likes Warren. Like nobody Except feels bad Andrew. when Warren dies. <laughs> that's a yeah, that's Except another Andrew. thing. Andrew, Andrew's caught up in that narrative, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. What if in this scene, what if Warren had expressed regret and remorse? And if he had said, if it, seeing Katrina had torn him up, what if all of that had happened and we had seen what it is that creates somebody like Warren at a human level that we had kind of rehumanized him the way you might rehydrate like a tomato or something? I don't know. <laughs> um, but what if they had managed to do that in that scene and Willow still flayed him? I think it's a much more compelling mm-hmm. narrative then i think that's yeah. i think i think then we're back to i understand both sides of this in a yeah. way that feels interesting and noteworthy and yeah uh, i mean I, it's more complex right I, well it, yeah you know i think you've got an argument for where willow is wrong yeah. Like if you're looking at the the ghost or the image or whatever of the woman he brutally murdered, like as the grieving girlfriend of another woman he brutally murdered mm-hmm. is there while the woman he tried to murder and almost murdered, if not for magical means, is running through the forest to save his worthless fucking life. Yeah. Right. If we saw the human side of that darkness what is it that creates this human darkness in people and is there a redemption point like i mean you could also make the argument that yeah sure he's sorry now that he's you know spread eagled on a tree yeah with a witch after he but- thrown an axe in her back after he'd done all this stuff like but what if we had shown him being scared being over his head realizing what he's done feeling bad about it on a certain level, like what if we had seen that um, we had seen his regret, yeah, you know, and then had some sort of sense of what Willow's regret might be. And I, I mean, if, if we'd seen his regret and she backed down, that wouldn't be a good story. But if we'd seen his regret and we have everything else play out exactly as it mm-hmm. did. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot more. I do too. I do too. Mm-hmm. Especially because we've been playing all along in this space, at least in Warren's mind, that he loved Katrina. Yeah. In the same way that we have this whole twisted, this twisted perspective from Spike mm-hmm. about what love means. And Spike yes. has his definition about love being dangerous and consuming. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's not. What a if de- he had loved Katrina and then like at dead things, we see him go super, super dark because he killed the person that he loved. Yeah. Like, what if we actually see some humanity from him? It's a way more interesting story. It would have been a way more interesting story. And I think would have justified giving us a human story within this world 
where evil is is couched in metaphor. Especially if we do want to continue to have that conversation about Mm -hmm. it's not as simple as human good, demon bad. Right. Right. If we wanted to Mm -hmm. do a Spike Warren sort of parallel where they're grappling with similar Mm -hmm. ideas or similar dynamics in relationships and then what that does or how that plays out. There's a there's yeah. a more interesting narrative here. A Warren more is a piece of flat cardboard. Maybe. As a character, Warren is a piece of flat cardboard. Yeah. Like there's nothing, there's no nuance there, there's no depth there, there's no humanity there. And I think that there are reasons why we see him not being human, especially in this in this season where we're questioning the difference between human and demon. But I think that like especially if you put him up next to Spike, Spike is interesting because we gave his evil and his his demon human qualities, mm-hmm. human nuance, human complexity, which is something that we don't have. So there's more humanity in Spike as a character than there ever, ever, ever was in Warren. Yeah. You know, um, so I find it interesting. What do you think about the use of board now? Oh, my God. I was so fascinated by the choice of board right? now. Mm-hmm. So fascinated. Right, but so right before Willow skins Warren, she says, "Bored now," mm-hmm. and that's a vampire Willowism. Yes, has Willow heard her vampire self say this? I don't remember. I don't think so. I don't think Willow was around when Vampire Willow said, "Bored now." I don't. I think don't so think she was either. Mm-hmm. So if she hasn't heard her vampire self say this, which I actually like better as yes. an answer. Mm-hmm. What is the implied overlap between Vampire Willow and Dark Magic Willow? And before anyone jumps all over it, I know fan service is a thing. I get it. I love that she says bored now. Um, Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like Willow might be accessing something that she doesn't usually get to access. But that is an essential part of herself. Like yeah. we had that whole discussion back in Doppelgangland, right? Yeah. You know, about like I'm mean and I think I'm kind of gay. And then That's me as a Buffy's vampire. like, Buffy's like the vampire version is not at all like the human version. And Angel says, well, actually. Well, actually. <laughs> and then I says absolutely Angel right. explaining in that moment. And then Buffy <laughs> shuts him up like, I will. I will stake you right here. Exactly. So good. Yeah, but I mean, so we see that there are elements in Vampire Willow that are shared with Human Willow. Yeah, yeah. And so the idea that that at this core of Willow, there are these qualities, and that one of them is bored now. Yeah. Like. I can't. I like that. Well, I think that's very cool. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I was mm-hmm. so I was geeking out about this so hard. I mm-hmm. actually pulled my girlfriend into the discussion because she <laughs> loves all things Willow. Uh huh. And she observed quite brilliantly. I thought that Willow is probably bored a lot of the time, but she's oh. too polite to say anything about it. Oh my god! I love that. Right? That is brilliant. Like genius. So she's accessing part of the truth about herself Mm -hmm. through her grief and her fury. Oh, my God. I love that. And maybe that's part of why I love this episode so much. And this Mm -hmm. scene in particular of her torturing Warren because powerful shit happens when women and people of marginalized genders access their anger. Yeah. I love it. Oh, my God. No, I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, bored now is is a really, really good thing. And I like that idea that powerful shit happens. Right. Yeah. 
when. Yeah, but it's yeah. not really boredom, is it? I mean, it is in that I do. I think I think it's, my sweetie's right. That, I cannot be bothered to give a fuck about this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah. See, I think my sweetie's right that that Willow probably is bored a lot of the time. I mean, you right. couldn't be Willow Very and smart not be people bored often a lot of the time. are. Right. Um, yeah. But I also think that this ties in really nicely with her lack of affect, how flat mm-hmm. she is, and how yeah. that is so much about being sad as much as it is right. about being angry. Except this one moment. Yeah. Well, that grief. Yeah. That's. Grief is overpowering, definitely. And to access your anger and your grief at the same time. And that's how it it represents, it presents, I think is really interesting. Yeah. All right. So I love this idea of, um, you know, of, of that being core Willow. Like that's just who she is. Um, and, and it contributes to all expressions of Willow and that the doppelgangland Willow is part of Willow. I love all of that. I think that that's very, very cool. Um, I'm really interested kind of in this, um, in the role that um, that story has in this tiny little scene with Andrew and Jonathan, mm-hmm. um, because this is it's this tiny little thing we have them. They're just going into jail. Um, Andrew was talking about you know Broadway uh, uh, Matthew Broderick versus Ferris Matthew Broderick and all of that, and and Jonathan gets pulled into it for just a second, and is like, "Shut up," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something that I love that because we have Jonathan. Finally, finally, and for Jonathan, this is absolutely finally rooted in reality, right? Connected to reality. Um, And Andrew is still hiding in the fuzzy covers of fantasy. And Mm -hmm. we see how prone they both are to getting caught up in narrative. And Andrew's incredible susceptibility to narrative is something that we're going to follow through all the way into season seven storyteller, um, which actually is a brilliant cap for that entire arc for Andrew, which I love and which they do consistently. His susceptibility to the power of narrative is crazy pants. And it's so fun and so interesting. And I really love that about Andrew. But it's when we get to storyteller and he finally finds his way through it. You yes. know, into reality that I absolutely love. Um, but, you know, just for just for a recap for people who don't follow my How Story Works podcast, where I'm talking specifically about this story itself is just a series of events like that's it. It's just what happens. But narrative is what we decide that series of events means. Um, And narrative is always what we decide it is. And the role of a storyteller is to form the narrative into something that conveys that intended meaning. And that's why when we come across moments of narrative gaslighting, when the narrative that the storyteller rubber stamps is not in line with reality, we have to call it out because otherwise we are susceptible to believing that that is true. Um, And narrative is hugely, hugely seductive. It is very easy to believe things that simply are not true because the narrative tells us that it is, which is why we have to think critically. This narrative is the tool of abusers and con men worldwide. Um, And it is the most powerful force on earth. I'm not even kidding you with that. Here in this moment with Jonathan and Andrew, when they're dealing with the very real consequence of their actions committed under the sway of a narrative that made what they were doing feel not really real, Andrew is still actively trying to hide inside narrative. Going to Ferris Matthew versus Broadway Matthew, we can always have an argument about the story, you know? Mm 
And for that moment, Jonathan is drawn into it and then he pulls himself out. Um, and I mean, Jonathan is no hero. He's the one out of all of them who should have known better all along after the events of Superstar should have fucking known better. And this to me makes him the most tragic character out of the three of them because he had that potential to be better than this, you know, but there's something in this interaction between them that so beautifully paints the power of narrative and how narrative used to bend reality to one's will is the dark power and using it to heal and inspire is the light side of that narrative power. And this is a story about the dark side of power. So this for me is just a nice, a nice moment. It's so short. It's such a tiny little beat, but I love it. I love the two of them just trying, like, trying to grapple with their situation mm-hmm. through the lens of storytelling whether mm-hmm. it's fact or fiction it's yeah. in it is informed by storytelling i mean the thing about that scene that that pulls me out and makes me bounce just so hard is that mm-hmm. there's a it opens with a long series of rape jokes where the joke oh, is just yeah. rape right yeah. which Oh, just no, 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 just no. Rape in prison as though that's that makes that's the funny rape. Right. Yeah. But you even know? that even even as Jonathan is expressing his fears about being yeah. in prison, mm-hmm. he's telling a story. Yeah. Right. And then I think Andrew pulls him out of it by referencing mm-hmm. referencing prison television i don't remember i don't remember all of the references but it's rapid fire yeah that they're they're talking film and television even as they're grappling with the reality of their situation Mm -hmm. and then andrew's fantasy about their situation but it's there's something in it i mean there's something about it that i don't like in addition to joking about rape yeah it seems like this is a very privileged position Yes. To be mm-hmm. able to escape into narrative that way mm-hmm. or reframe the narrative mm-hmm. that way. And I don't I, I don't have a fully formed thought about that. Um mm-hmm. just that I see it. I love I love that I love that Jonathan briefly gets seduced by Andrew and then is Mm -hmm. like like snaps out of it essentially but the whole thing I don't know there's something there's something in all of that that rubs me the wrong way and I'm not entirely sure what it is well yeah beyond you know beyond the sort of surface level stuff yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I can definitely understand the things that are irritating about that particular scene um and you know about the fact that that we're you know this is this is funny these guys have still contributed to I mean they were there for Katrina's murder they may not know about Tara at this point I don't know if they know that Tara got killed at this point um because they're in jail for robbing the the um armored car Mm -hmm. you know um but uh, but the fact that they are so deeply involved in something that they definitely know has murdered one woman mm-hmm. and yet it's still funny. 
these characters are still treated as you know it's fun and jokes and good times when you're hanging out with Andrew and Jonathan Mm -hmm. you know and yeah it's it's time to maybe take what they've done seriously even if you can't take the characters themselves seriously it's time to take what they've done seriously and what they've contributed to seriously um, and I feel like we get a little bit of that with Jonathan because he is at yeah. least acknowledging that this is not okay. Yeah. I mean, know? especially when, you know, Andrew is still holding a candle mm-hmm. for Warren and Jonathan yeah. says, oh, yeah, he's a nice murderer who exactly. keeps his word or whatever. It's like, yeah, right. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because understand how, where that narrative is broken. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Shine a light of reality on it. Um, yeah. It's uh, so, yeah, I get, I completely get why, uh, why that doesn't really sit that well with you. Um, something else in this that has never sat well with me that has been a general season six thing, and specifically it's this part of the run, um, is, is Buffy and the erasure of her trauma. Um, at this point, it feels almost like Buffy is a side character in her own show. I mentioned in a previous episode how every week I come in and make my notes about everything. And mm-hmm. Buffy is the last thing I think about because she is kind of hanging out and observing. You know, the only active thing she's really done this season is, you know, like uh, occasionally investigate the trio and have sex with Spike, you know, um, which, by the way, I was all for it. Like that, you know, the having sex with Spike was great um, in a lot of ways. Um, but I do think that we we have this experience where um, now we've had the, this kind of trauma, um, you know, like unfolding on trauma, on trauma, on trauma. And Buffy seems to just get over it. I mean, there is a numbing effect of trauma that is absolutely real. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have Buffy who doesn't seem to feel anything. And as recently, like she was traumatized from being pulled out of heaven. That was a whole thing. She was going through the, why don't I feel anything? It's the only thing. The only time I feel anything is now I touch the fire and it freezes me, this whole thing. We've been kind of processing that numbness for her. Um, but now we have her re-traumatized by the attack from Spike and shot in the chest and almost died and had to pull her sister out of a room where she'd been sitting for hours with a dead mother figure and for fuck's sake oh my god yeah this day right yeah um and then she sits down and calmly explains what's right and wrong and she feels more like a robot than buffy bot you know and i'd be okay with this if it felt like a deliberate choice if at some point we were going to process all of buffy's very real trauma and treat it like it matters but we really don't we just kind of see her get over it you know which honestly is kind of, at least from my experience, is is kind of what I expected of myself, right? That I would just be able to get over it. How long it takes to process through trauma, um, how uh, consistent and persistent it is, how much it revisits you even when you think you've processed through it. You don't get over it. You work through it. You work through it all the time, every day. For the rest of your life, you are affected by that experience. And with traumatizing events in fiction, these big, huge, shocking moments, um, I feel very strongly that that as a storyteller, like you need to earn that you want to depict a rape, you know, fine, go ahead, but follow through with what happens to the traumatized person afterwards with with what happens, how you process it, how you work your way through it. You don't just get over these things. And here we have this this, you know, rape attempt, this rape experience with Spike and that story becomes about him going to get his soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, we talked last time with Seeing Red when we had Anya guest about yes. 
the ways in which survivors are told they need to behave Mm -hmm. post-trauma. And I think that giving Buffy space to have an experience and move through it, maybe even off camera, Mm -hmm. but but have some acknowledgement. Like there's a way, there's a way to acknowledge without, I think, um, engaging in any sort of, well, this is the way that you have to move through trauma. And, exactly. you know, and without mm-hmm. it being performative, further mm-hmm. performance of being traumatized, right? right. Because I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know that that's especially helpful, Mm -hmm. but not acknowledging at all definitely feels problematic. I don't need it to be the big storyline, but I need it to be acknowledged. Like Buffy's been through a thing this day alone. I mean, forget everything else she's been through this day alone while she's still recovering from when did Spike try to rape her last night? Um, And this. Let's see. So this episode was the night before this episode picks up immediately after seeing Mm -hmm. red yeah it's the morning buffy has buffy is let's see the end of seeing red is it's the morning buffy's in the garden xander comes to see her that it's 24 after is it 24 hours it's i think it's maybe I i think it's 12 hours i think it's the morning after Wow. So, so yeah, there's a lot. And I mean, you know, I'm not going to say like in my own trauma experience, I shut down the next day I'm baking cookies and I'm like, Hey, you know, but it is a very brittle, Hey, here are your cookies kind of thing. Like there's, there's a process for that. And I feel like we have in this, uh, you know, in this particular instance in, in what happens with this story here at the end of season six and moving into season seven, this whole rape experience is about Spike. It yeah. It's not oh, about absolutely. Buffy and we don't deal with Buffy. Uh, that said, like, I love what they do with Spike. Um, I hate the mislead that we get in this episode. I hate bitch is going to see a change. Um, we're misleaded to believe that what he's after is something that is going to hurt Buffy or he's going to bring down a world of hurt on her. Not that he's, you know, going into get his soul so that he never hurts her again. Like, we're that's not at all uh, what we're led to believe in here. Um, and I hate that mislead. I hate that, that you know, it's, it's just disingenuous and I really don't like it. Also, I personally have hit my limit on this, like, men calling women bitches. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a lot of it with Warren this season. I'm actually watching, I'm watching through Supernatural right now. I'm in the early seasons in which uh, Dean is absolutely terrible about that. It is a ton of misogyny um, in the early ages of, uh, of Supernatural. I hear it gets better, uh, but I'm still in the <laughs> early seasons. Um so, like, my patience with that shit is definitely, like, on the ropes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, even though, like, I, I'm annoyed that we kind of erase Buffy's trauma from these experiences and then turn it into this very deep, nuanced kind of experience for Spike um, as he moves forward in his arc, I do kind of love what they do. It's interesting. This is the part of this episode that I do not like. 
Mm-hmm. Not because it's a not because it's a mislead. I just think it drags. I just yeah. don't care. And I especially right. yeah. don't care because, oh, my God, we get the white supremacist flute soundtrack. And oh, my God. Like, yes. OK, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. What? He goes. He just charges through some village in Africa, I guess, right. because. Oh, my God. And gets to Africa. It's been 12 hours. Is he on a plane that has no sunlight? He took a nighttime flight. What did he? But he literally charges through this village with somebody speaking to him. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm not asking permission. Like, he literally just, Mm -hmm. just, you know... I don't. I, mm. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean. Just okay. This, this particular case, scene is terrible. I this, like where the story goes. With this. Di- okay. Mm-hmm. So the the villagers don't speak English, but the cave demon does. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. The shit that pulls me out of this episode is so <laughs> like. I don't even know. I don't even right. know. It's and mm-hmm. it's. I mean, it's a. It's the way that Spike is shot in the scene mm-hmm. is very beautiful, but it is so. Uh, I don't know. I don't care for yeah. it. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't I I don't like the racism of it. I don't like the pacing mm-hmm. of it. I don't like I don't like it. I don't like yeah. Spike in this episode. I think <laughs> I mean yeah. honestly, I think once Willow reaches into the books and says that's better, I'm like, "Okay, cool. This is the show I'm watching now." And then <laughs> just, Yeah. I, I don't just, think that's we so, don't need this scene from Spike. We just need to know that he's gone. We don't need this. It shouldn't yes. be there. There's a lot of bad, bad things in it. Um, yes, absolutely. Well, and we I, can show that yeah. he's gone or that he's up to something well, we maybe at nefarious. The, Clem's at the house. Yes. Oh we don't God. need to. I don't need the fucking mislead. The mislead drives me crazy. I don't need to think that he's up to something nefarious. The fact that I can't see him and I don't know what he's up to is going to make me worry enough. I don't need to be deliberately misled in this scene. Um, the way that it's written, the fact that it takes place in Africa, that we've got this white man barreling through this space, which is not his, um, like all of it is not good. We like, could just it is, cut to yeah. a cave somewhere. He could just be in a cave we, somewhere. I don't I don't want to see him. I don't want to see him at all. We shouldn't be seeing him at all. This is not like I understand that you have a contract with James Marsters and maybe you have to use him in every episode, but it's just a bad story choice. It is a bad story choice all along. What we need is not to see him at all until we get him at the end where he's in the cave and he gets his soul back. We've already had the moment where he charges out of town on his, you know, I'll be back Slayer and he does his little (laughs) evil um, you know, whatever. That was also misleading and annoying, but fine. I'll accept that. Just it cut this scene right out of it and it makes the episode better. It doesn't interrupt the flow of this episode. We're in the middle of something really, really important here. And putting Spike central to that, to, you know, yeah. I mean, centering centering on Spike in the middle of a woman's story, centering on Spike in the middle of a, a a place in the world that is not for him, that is not his. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just it's all bad. I mean, the only see, you could cut him or if we were going to go with the villains, plural theme, mm-hmm. we need to we need more of him. Yeah. It's, it's either less Spike or more Spike for me. Like, I vote less Spike. <laughs> I vote you were, and me voting less Spike. You know, I love Spike, but like you cut him out and we're, you know, somewhere in the back of our heads. We're like, what's Spike up to? What's Especially up to, when we see yeah. Clem. What's up with Spike? Right? <laughs> the, open, the open question about where did Spike go and what the fuck is he doing um, is much, much better than that. 
Yeah. You know, keeping it keeping it in the shadows is definitely better. I think I would kill it. Yeah. Entirely. Yeah. But I love Clem. I'm so glad oh we my get Clem. God. Oh my god, I love Clem. I love Clem. All right, well let's let's visit that in a second because I want to talk about Dawn, which brings us to Clem. Oh god. Right? Okay, Dawn in this episode. Oh my god. Okay. Dawn comes yeah. home, finds a mother figure dead in the house. In her um, mother's bedroom, no in big her deal. Mother's bedroom, right? And then sits with her all day. I didn't want her to be here alone. Yeah. Oh my God. You know. Um, so Dawn's experience right here, like the fact that we're having this experience that actually does reflect quite a bit um Buffy's experience in the body. Mm-hmm. You know. We even get um, a flash to white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When Dawn I mean, sees just... Tara, we get that that um instead of a fade to black we get a fade to white like we got in the Mm -hmm. body yeah oh god it's so heartbreaking and she just sits there with her all day and then buffy comes and finds her and pulls her out um and they have that whole discussion and then dawn and this is the thing like you know buffy's like well we're gonna go to the magic box we're gonna get a locator spell we're gonna find willow yada 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 and dawn is like i want to come with you yeah yeah you do love this dawn me too I love all things from Dawn. I love Dawn's argument that I don't care if Warren's human. He's evil. I wish that I could kill him. I you love know? that so much. And then Buffy says something like, you don't really feel that way. And I'm yeah. like, fuck don't you. Tell how she feels. Like, she feels yeah. how she feels. Exactly. How dare exactly. you? Exactly. I was really annoyed by that, too. I, I do was a not bad like that. I am so mm-hmm. with Dawn and Xander mm-hmm. in that scene. Mm-hmm. Dawn says, you know, uh, Buffy says, Buffy or maybe it's Xander says Warren's a dead man if Willow finds yeah. him. And Dawn just says, good. good. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hell yeah. yeah, that is a good baby. <laughs> exactly. Because just... Dawn just spent the day. Right. Right. Spent the day sitting with Tara's dead body. Also, Dawn's, you know, Dawn's trauma erasure. (laughs) Let's not forget. We don't we don't really deal with that either. Um, And then we have this moment where, you know, she says, fine, if I can't go with you, I want to go to Spikes. And Buffy's like, "Okay." And here's where I'm with Xander. Xander's like, no. Excuse me. What? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like at the same time. Having, you know, having been gone through shock and trauma, and again, fiction is not answerable to reality, but there are those moments where you just behave the way that you always have because that's the reference that you've got because you haven't processed the ways in which things are different. And so sometimes that happens, but I don't think that's what we're doing here. She's like, he's strong. He can protect. There's no demons coming after Dawn. Why can't she go to Janice's? Janice is across the street. Her mother makes quesadillas. Just send her over to Janice's. Not to mention Dawn is telling them yeah. I want to be with you. Exactly. Dawn wants to be with her people. And going to the magic box and finding a locator spell, Buffy's like, no, it's too dangerous. I'm like, more dangerous than anything else that Dawn's been through? More dangerous than when you, you know, knocked her out and dragged her to the basement to be killed by a demon? Like, Dawn and Danger are pretty much best friends at this point. Yeah, not to mention Dawn loves Willow. Dawn yeah. loves Tara. Mm-hmm. I get I get it. Like you're afraid that Willow on all of the powerful magic is going to do something and, you know, people are going to get hurt. Like I understand. Right. I understand not wanting Dawn to be around Willow. But 
Dawn's right. experience is here are these two people, Willow and Tara, mm-hmm. who she loves, who she cares about, and who, who she loves together. Raised Dawn for a summer. Yeah. As her parents. If Yeah, effectively. If anybody's going to get through to Willow, wouldn't it be Doc? You know, that was that's something that has bugged me about this whole storyline mm-hmm. with Willow, actually. I feel like, because I know that it's Xander who gets through mm-hmm. to her in the end. And I, uh, I kind of understand, but I feel like Dawn has a much better... Yeah. Narrative reason. Oh, my God. Yes. It, Dawn, especially with her connection with Tara. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Dawn, because Dawn loves Willow, Dawn mm-hmm. loves Tara, and Dawn loves Willow and Tara together. And yes. Dawn was always the biggest cheerleader of Willow and Tara. Mm-hmm. So it feels, it feels right to me, especially if you are telling a story about what the loss of this one person mm-hmm. yeah. does to Willow. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, it's not just Willow who lost Tara, right? Everybody right. lost yeah. Tara. Yeah. But- and Dawn being able to empathetically mm-hmm. reach Willow with that shared loss. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that would have been amazing if Dawn had been the one instead of Xander to like make that connection. I think that would have been incredible. Yeah. But yeah. But instead, we get uh, Buffy taking Dawn to Spikes, which is okay, whatever. But I don't care because Clem. Because Clem, in the middle of this episode that is so hard and so difficult, Clem is this shining light of sunshine with bugles and parcheesy. And I love him so much, Noel. And Liverwurst. And Liverwurst. I was just, just about to mix up some country time. Like, he's oh so great. God. He is so, so good. And just the way he says, you can have the comfy chair with the emphasis oh, on comfy. Like, I know. Clem. He's man, so sweet. He's so good. Okay. The thing about Clem, Clem mm-hmm. is one of those characters who is so much better than mm-hmm. he needs to be. Yes. They did not need to go so hard on mm-hmm. making Clem delightful. Yeah. And they did. And I'm but so I'm glad. I'm so glad because we needed it. We needed Clem this season. We really did. Yeah. He's so sweet and yeah. so delightful. And seeing him in the middle of this episode, which is so hard for so many reasons, yeah. was such a nice break. Yeah. You know? Someone who's not in our character notes, but we. I we... was just having the same thought. Anya? Anya? Yes! <laughs> I was like, I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, I forgot to put my Anya notes down. Who have we not talked about Anya? No, let's not talked about Anya yet. Good lord. My God. Okay. First of all, Anya post Hell's Bells is my favorite Anya of all the Anyas, except for like Wish Anya, like in the first couple of episodes before she got together with Xander. Um, But now we have Anya. I love when Willow walks in and Willow is just business and where are the books and Anya's trying to talk to her. Anya knows um, you know, oh, Anya's yeah. trying to work with her when they come in and they're like, Hey, this is what's going on. And she's like, yeah, I can feel her screaming out for vengeance, but she doesn't want me. She doesn't want me. I oh, love so God. much, mm-hmm. which, which is a really interesting character beat for Anya, right? Because mm-hmm. Anya in the wish is granting a wish, but doesn't really care about what happens. Yeah. around that she's granting a wish mm-hmm. for cordelia but cordelia is not really that important to her yeah and now this anya 
she cares about the person who's mm-hmm. crying out for vengeance. And she also has this respect for Willow's autonomy. Yeah. That I don't know if that's Anya or if that's vengeance demon rules, but regardless, I love it mm-hmm. of, you know, Xander's like, isn't that your whole thing? Like, don't you have to go to her? If she's crying out mm-hmm. for vengeance. And Anya says, she doesn't want me. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's wonderful for Anya. It's also wonderful for Willow of mm-hmm. like, I want vengeance and I want to DIY this stuff. You know, like it's, yeah. it's great, but oh, God damn, when she comes out, when mm-hmm. Anya comes out to Xander mm-hmm. as being, you know, she's, yep. a, she's a vengeance demon. He says, he says, oh, is that like leftover from your vengeance demon uh-huh. days? But she just says, not leftover. And then they have that moment of almost no dialogue. Mm-hmm. And he says, when? And she says, when do you think? Oh, my God. Oh, I know. I love so it so good. much. It's so it good. It is so good. And I love this. I'll help, but I'm helping Willow. Exactly. Like, she is just there for Willow because Willow is in the middle of vengeance and this is her thing. And that's what she's doing. I love it. I love that she can track Willow. I love that we give her power, that she's not a comedy mule, finally, in this episode. Um, God, Anya is the best. And I think she just continues to, like, be excellent. Oh, yeah. She only gets better as we go. She only gets better as we go. Um, All right. So, Noelle, baby, what are you wearing? Oh, boy. (laughs) The makeover of the damned. We got to talk about it. All right. Um, Xander describes Willow's appearance as the makeover of the damned, which is pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really the makeover of the grieving. Yeah. Like, we use the all black everything as code for she's bad now but willow Mm -hmm. is a sad girl more than she is a bad girl and black is the color of grieving too yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so the clothing is a deliberate change um Mm -hmm. you know by which i mean (laughs) she needs a new shirt right Mm -hmm. but it's not just because she needs the bloody shirt you know to use to get to Mm -hmm. warren But also because, as you say, she's in mourning. Mm -hmm. She's not moved by I'm evil now. Right. right? That's Warren. That's Warren's whole thing. She's moved by the death of the one person who is supposed to be here, as she Mm -hmm. puts it. Yeah. So it's not just magic that changes Willow's hair and eyes. It's also grief. Mm-hmm. Because grief affects our physical bodies. Yeah. And we see that change in Willow even before she changes her clothes, right? We see the change in her walk and her mm-hmm. stance. Yep. She hasn't sucked up the books yet. She hasn't changed her outfit, but her body is different already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So grief and the accompanying fury literally changes the way Willow moves through the world. Mm-hmm. which is so damn powerful yes. and then it gets you know and then we lay all of this meaning on this visual cue of mm-hmm. she looks really really different but it's she looks really really different and she looks different in a way that we are encouraged to read as evil mm-hmm. but it doesn't start that way and i think that's so so fascinating. The first thing she does when she changes her clothes is go to Buffy. 
right? She saves Buffy. That's the first thing she does. And she smiles. Yeah. When she saves Buffy, she has no affect almost throughout this whole episode. Yeah. But when she saves Buffy, she has this little smile for Buffy. Yeah. And it is such a beautiful, tiny expression of emotion. And she shuts that shit down immediately. Well, she's so sad. She's Mm -hmm. so, so sad when she goes into the operating room and she doesn't you know she looks scary but she doesn't hurt anybody mm-hmm. yeah which is really interesting i'm really I'm, I'm fascinated by this like this decision to change the sad girl into a bad girl mm-hmm. which is not unique to willow i mean we do this right all mm-hmm. the time all the time right. in media but i think it's it's i don't know I don't know. I just I I love it. I I love yeah. the makeover of the damned too. I mean, she looks great. Yeah, she looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other bit of clothing that we need to talk about is the bloody shirt, right? Yeah. Oh God. You the know, bloody shirt. it's mm-hmm. rough. It's so rough. Willow using her bloody shirt as a means of finding Warren is one of my favorite things in all of Buffy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tara's last words after she shot are, your shirt. Yeah. As she notices the spray of her own blood on Willow's clothes, which, pause for a moment, peak <laughs> Tara, right? Yeah. Her oh, last yeah. words are in recognition of someone else and their situation. <laughs> oh, my God. Tara never lived long enough to have a moment that was about her. Peak Tara. Yeah. So Willow mm-hmm. brings the bloody shirt to Tara's dorm room at UC Sunnydale and lays mm-hmm. it out on the floor so carefully. And we know that at least one really potent spell resulted in Willow on Tara's dorm room floor. And I'm not yeah. even being cheeky. <laughs> like, this is extremely yeah. poignant. Mm-hmm. Willow's body, Tara's room, Willow's shirt, Tara's blood. This is the last oh, spell gosh. they do together. Oh, my God. I hadn't thought about it that way. But oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. Tara's blood is literally the thing that leads Willow to Warren. Mm-hmm. And my headcanon is that Tara is 100% on board with what happens to Warren. Mm-hmm. Warren hates all women. Yeah. Willow loves this one woman so deeply, and that's what destroys Warren. I think it's a perfect ending for him. I think he gets exactly what he deserves. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So what's your favorite part? Oh, boy. Okay. I have three because, of course, I do. Because I'm not going to pare it down to one favorite part for this episode. My favorite in the love to see it sense is Willow confronting Warren with the bullet. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love her torturing him with that bullet. Favorite in the gut-wrenching sense is Dawn staying with Tara all day. I didn't want to leave her alone. Mm-hmm. That is so Dawn. That is yeah. so very Dawn. Connection with other people, time together. Those are her things. Like those are mm-hmm. her her strengths. Her love language is quality time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> her love language her love language is quality time. And it's mm-hmm. also so it's very, very Dawn. And it's also so very human to want to yeah. stay with the body of someone you love. Yeah. It's just oh, beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um and then my favorite part in the specifically to delight me space yes. is when Willow magically lifts the bullet out of Buffy. She floats it in the air, closes her hand around it, 
And then when she opens her hand again, the bullet is gone. Mm -hmm. She carries that bullet in her body magically until she confronts Warren with it in the forest. And that is some deep, beautiful symbolism that I cannot even begin (laughs) to express my love for. You just made me like this episode better. I don't enjoy this episode. I like it. I think it's a good episode. I think it's good. I think it's well written. I do not enjoy it. Everything in this episode makes me, it makes my heart break. It's really difficult for me, even though Warren absolutely deserves everything that he gets. It is very hard for me to watch anybody suffer. I am the worst. I would be the (laughs) worst torturer in hell. I am terrible. I would be like, let me bring you some frozen yogurt instead. I know you don't like frozen yogurt, and that is how I will choose to torture you. Um, But yeah, that's a a beautiful read. And the idea that Willow carries that bullet around in her body all day before giving it back to Warren is really beautiful and poetic. I love that read. That's that's my read. I'm sticking with it. I like it. I like it. What's your favorite part of villains, Lonnie? I think what I enjoy the most... I mean, it's it's actually like what I, okay, there's a lot of really, really good stuff in it. What I enjoy the most is probably Clem and, but Anya wins out. Anya, new Anya, seeing new Anya, not being a comedy mule, Emma Caulfield allowed to fucking do her thing. Um, I'll help, but I'm helping Willow. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. I love all of that. Everything Anya in this episode, I think is my favorite part of this episode. <laughs> All right, if you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter, follow at Chipperish, and use the hashtag StillPretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers, who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now, so thank you to our February producers. Stephania, Shelley, Rose, Jonathan, Alice, Kristen, Sarah, Christina, Erica, and Abigail. And this week's special message for our power producers, I got bugles and liverwurst. (laughs) I love that we have a bunch of our power producers here with us today watching us record the show live. It's so cool to say their name with them right there. All right. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or suck all the ink out of the dark magic books. It'll be fine. Oh, you know I would if I could. Oh, Come on. man. You'd look great, too, with those dark eyes and dark hair. That'd be awesome and the, look for and, you. And excuse me, but text all over my body. Text Come on. all over your body? Yeah. So important. We <laughs> will be back next time with two to go, the 21st episode of season six. Until then, fine. The puppet master wants to drive? Go right ahead. <laughs>